All right. So I'm going to step back a little bit. I know this is kind of getting redundant for those of us that have been a part of this, but for those who are new or haven't been here in a while, we're in a little bit of a series right now. And it all started with a young man that came to me and said, I read this scripture in Matthew 7, and it scares me because Jesus said, depart from me because I don't know you. And he said, how do I know that I'm known by Jesus? And I, I really couldn't answer that question, and I said, let's take some time and kind of go through it together. And God sparked this thing of, we need to spend some time here because we spend so much time saying, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? But do we spend any time saying, does Jesus know you? I was talking to a, a, a gentleman this morning, and we both have a similar story. We both grew up in church. We both knew Jesus, but he wasn't my Lord and Savior. And I would argue that he didn't know me. So I know this is a tough scripture, but this is the most important thing that we can ever get our arms around. Whether a virus kills you or a car crash kills you or Mother Nature kills you or a hurricane or you die at 93 years old, you're going to face this moment. And it's my job to help you get prepared, to know that he's going to say, I know you. Hey, come on, I know you. Versus you walking up there going, holy crap, I hope he doesn't see me. I'm going to try to sneak by him. <laughs> right? That's the way we live our lives, be honest. Okay? So everything we're talking about is stemming out of this scripture. But to get here, we went backwards. We started in Matthew 5, and we've been processing through Matthew 5 and 6, which we would call the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gives us everything we need to know to be known by him. The question is, are we going to be stubborn people? Or are we going to take a look inward and say, God, there's some things i got to adjust and change. There's some things i got to work on. And I'm going to say this now, and I'm going to say it later. Jesus didn't say you got to be perfect to be known by him. Right? This whole series has been about taking a look inward at your heart. Are there things that I need to change? Okay? So as we continue our little journey, I'm going to call it what it means to be known by Jesus. Last week, we started to dig into a rough spot. Let's be honest. Right? We talked about if you guys, how many of y'all have watched The Chosen? If you haven't watched it, it's a really cool show. Is it 100% perfect? Probably not, but it's really cool. It's free. You can download the app and watch the show. It's awesome. But this whole past season, Jesus has been building up this pressure and tension amongst, you know, to, to do the Sermon on the Mount. And it gets to this one of the last episodes of the season, and Matthew is off alone with Jesus writing down all these notes. And it's really cool to think, man, this actually probably happened, like, Jesus didn't just show it. He, he took Matthew, the guy that keeps up with data, the tax guy that had to get numbers right. Everything had to be perfect. Details had to be perfect. And he chose Matthew to document this whole sermon because it's that important. And Matthew says something like, and I'm paraphrasing, he's like, Jesus, this is tough. And Jesus is like, I know. But when we get to last week's, it got a little personal. Right? Because up till last week, you know, yeah, I struggled with that a little bit. Oh, man, he hit home. He started talking about money. Right? It's a personal place. It's a tough place. We got to look inward. We got to look at our hearts. We got to make some evaluations of where we are. That's what this whole sermon's about. 
It's more about your heart that drives your actions, not your actions. And I'm going to give you some examples later of where you can do the same action. I tried to say this last week, and I butchered it so bad, I don't even know if I ever got it out right. You can have the same action, but have the wrong heart or the right heart for the same action. Okay, and I'm going to give you some examples in a little bit. The problem with this little teaching is this is more of a little gut punch. Because this is where we got to start evaluating like every moment of every day of our lives. We got to start looking at our daily, hourly, like every moment actions that it produces. So we began to look at Matthew 6, 19 through 34. So if you got your Bibles or your little phone apps or whatever, please turn there. Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. We, we, we covered, I'm just going to recap this really quick. We covered where Jesus is talking about where we store our possessions, where we store our treasures. we got two choices. It's either on earth or in heaven. So we started looking at some data. For Americans, a study was done, and I'm just going back over this because some of you guys weren't here. A study was done before the pandemic, the top four worries for Americans were money, Job security, which is mostly money. Relationships, health was number four. Now we're in the pandemic or whatever it is. What are the top four worries? Money, <laughs> job security, which is really money. Relationships, then health. That's not what you would think if you watch the news. It's all about health. That is not the average American's biggest worry. It's still money and money, okay? America's top two worries are money. So it makes sense that Jesus 2,000 year years ago knew this was going to be driving our decisions and our thoughts. So he talked about money, and he talked about money as he talked about worry. If that's our top two worries. So I'm going to get Parker to come up here, and he's going to read this scripture, Matthew 6, 19 through 34. I'm going to go ahead and read it. Don't, don't store up treasures here on earth where moss, eat, where, where moss eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and, in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where the moss and rust cannot destroy them and thieves, cannot, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, their, their desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think, uh, if if, and if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep is how deep that darkness is? No one, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and de and despise the other. You cannot you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. This is why I tell you: do not worry about everyday life. Whenever whenever you have enough, wait, hold on. Yeah, do not worry about everyday life. Whenever where, whether you have enough food and drink or, or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food in your body? Then more isn't life. Guys, okay, sorry. 
isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And and aren't you far, far, far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look, look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't make clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And, and if God cares some and if, and if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today, and thrown into the fire of tomorrow, he will certainly take care for you. He will, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying that what they will eat. Don't worry about these things, saying what what will eat. What will we eat? Uh, what will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's troubles are enough for today. So last week was a little bit of a gut punch because it talked about money. And if you didn't hear that, I'm going to encourage you to go back and listen to it because that's a whole thing in and of itself. This week, we're going to focus on the second part of that, and it's about worry. So if last week was a gut punch, this week is going to be a little more of a gut punch. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. I don't mean from me. I'm talking about from evaluating our lives. Jesus is saying, look at your daily decisions. Look at your actions. Are you going to store up your treasure on earth, or are you going to store your treasure in heaven? Jesus said you can't love God and love money. Then he dives right into worry. So I'm going to kind of start today's discussion. A lot of times you kind of build up something for a punchline. I'm going to kind of start today's discussion with the punchline. Worry attacks your faith. Worry attacks your faith in God. Money, or storing up treasures on earth, and we talked last week, and I'll continue to reiterate it this week, it's more than money. Storing up your treasures on earth can be where you spend your time, your passions, etc. Worry attacks your faith in God. Money and storing up your treasures on earth produces worry. Therefore, treasures on earth separate you from God. Okay, I'm going to say it again. Worry attacks your faith in God. Storing up treasures on earth produces worry. Therefore, treasures on earth separate you from God. People ask me all the time, Jason, I just can't get closer to God. How do I get closer to God? And I tell them, maybe quit focusing so much on this, 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 and this. And I'm not going to say specific things because I don't want anybody in here to feel like I'm attacking you. And then they get mad. I want to get closer to God. Okay, there's a pretty simple formula. We've got to teach you how to not store up your treasures in the wrong place because that produces worry, and worry separates you from God. If you want to be closer to God, you got to get that worry out, right? It's that simple. The gospel's not hard, and this lesson's not hard. We're the hard-headed ones. 
that don't want to make change. And they walk off, and a lot of times I get feedback later, you said something that hurt my feelings. You asked me a question, and I gave you the answer Jesus gave you to hurt your feelings. I'm sorry, but Jesus made it plain and clear. You're going to love one, you're going to hate the other. There's no gray area. The problem that I think a lot of us have is in America, we're all raised that success in making the American dream is making money. Be honest. What was your goal? What was your parents' goal? My parents' goal was for me to make more money than them, to set me up for success. They did that out of love, but that's what our society is all about. I'm not knocking what they did. I'm very thankful for what they did, but we as a society are focused on how do we make money? How do we become financially better than our parents? How do we break that cycle? How do we chase the American dream? How do we get to go to college so I can get a better job? That's an arguable discussion right now. But how do I get to go to college to get a better job? That's what my generation was all about. Is you got to go to college. If you don't go to college, you're not going to get a good job. It shifted a little bit today because there's a lot of great jobs out there from all those people that went to college and nobody knows how to do anything like welding and things like that. Not today's discussion, but my point is, that's what we focus on. How do I get a better job? How do I start a business? Because I'm doing this for somebody, but I could make more money if I did my own business. I was my own boss, right? How can I charge more for what I do, for the service I give? How can I make more money per hour? How can I jump to this job over here? And that becomes our focus, and it dominates our brains. How do we make more money? Because i got to eat. Because i got to have stuff. And we start to put our faith in the future of money, not in God's ability to take care of us. And when we put our thoughts into the money, it starts producing worry and anxiety and all kinds of problems. I'm going to give you the one I just gave. I said, maybe you're working for someone. I see a lot of people fall in this trap. I'm working for someone. It's a small business. Man, if I could just own my own business, I'll make the money they're making. And nobody sat and told them about all the paperwork and the stress and the cost increases and all the other things that come along with it. I'm not saying don't go own your own business. I'm just saying if your desire was to make more money to own your own business, man, you just got set up for failure because it sucks if that's your goal. Okay? Worry and anxiety produce these nasty things that keep us separated from God. Jesus starts with focusing on money, but the reality is that storing up treasures in heaven goes beyond money. I'm sorry, storing up your treasures on earth goes beyond money. It's where we spend our time. I want you to think about it. Where do you spend your time? For some of us, it's when's the last time I read my Bible? Man, I just don't have time. I don't know, I saw you posting a lot of stuff on Facebook and arguing with a lot of people this week. <laughs> Looked to me like you got plenty of time. So maybe it's not just money. Maybe it's where we veg out, watching some Netflix thing. <laughs> For Lonnie, it used to be playing, what was the video game? Minecraft. <laughs> Fortnite. <laughs> Sorry, I'm sorry, Lonnie. I didn't mean to call you out. (laughs) There's a funny story there, and I have to tell it now. I was talking about kids playing video games one Sunday and not spending our time there, and she came up. She's like, I was so convicted. I played Fortnite, and I thought she was kidding with me. (laughs) Where's our time spent? Where are our mental cycles spent? Is it money? Is it work? Is it entertainment? Is it hobbies? 
Sometimes we get so built up with worry and anxiety, we can't do anything but think about the next entertainment thing we get to do. It's football season. Man, you can watch football Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. There's only two days of the week that you get withdrawals from that entertainment, and most men are like, yeah, it's football season. Man, I ain't got time to go to church. I ain't got time to read my Bible. I ain't got time to put praise worship on with my family and lead them through some worship. I'll wait and do that on Sunday because that's what Sunday's for. So where are your thoughts? Is it on buying the next whatever you need to complete a collection? I've been there. I shared a lot of that last week. By the way, if you think I'm beating you up this week, you need to go back and listen to last week where I beat myself up a little bit, okay? Where's your time spent? Proving yourself to a parent or a loved one that told you you couldn't do it? Because I run into that a lot in counseling. Or is your first thought, everything I'm about to do, how does this impact the kingdom of God? When you start that business, am I starting a business to make more money because the guy I'm working for makes money? Or am I starting this business so I can impact the kingdom of God by investing in families? Same scenario, different motivation. You get the point there? Jesus says, man, it's really bad when you're storing up treasures on earth, but you think you're storing them up in heaven. That's the whole thing about light. The light coming in or the darkness. And he says, man, it's really bad when you're filled with darkness, but you think it's light. And I shared with you last week how that affected me. But I want to give you a little example of how I watch it impact other people because I want to bring this down to something that I think we all sort of struggle with. You know, I get requests weekly for people for prayer, and I want to be clear on something. I'm not talking about just your prayer request. We work with a lot of people in counseling in our, in our wedding venue that don't go to church here, okay? So don't think I'm singling someone out when I say this. But sometimes you can tell a lot about where people's treasures are stored by their prayer requests. I'm going to give you a couple of exam- examples. Please pray for me to get this job I'm applying for. If you've asked that question, usually you get the question back of what precisely do you want me to pray for? What do you want me to pray for? Just for you to get the job, what do you want me to pray for? Let me give you two different answers I've gotten over time. I need to make more money. Please pray for me. What do you want me to pray for? I need to make more money. Man, you just showed me where, you're, where your treasures, where you're putting your faith. I'm not saying that the need to make more money is a bad thing, okay? I tried to be clear about that this last week, and I'm not, I want to be very clear about this this week. But what was your motive of asking for prayer? Versus hey, please pray for me to get this job I'm applying for. What do you need me to pray for? I just need a place where I can witness to other people. I need to be in a place where I can make an impact, where I can strengthen and encourage others with the gifts God's given me, etc. I could go on and on. I need to be in a place where I can make more money so I can give more to the kingdom of God through things like these dinners, through things like Tatum's birthday party, to church, whatever it is. Do you see the thing? There's the same prayer, had two different, motivations okay it's going to get a little more personal by the way i think on the job thing i've kind of looked into that a little bit more of the worry it may not be just money when it's talking about job security sometimes it's a power thing sometimes it's it's to be a springboard to the next level because you're chasing the wrong thing and i'm going to give you an example of that i worked in a church 
And over a couple months of working there, I realized that the things they talked about from stage were not the things they did behind closed doors. And here's the problem. The things they talked about from stage were biblical. The things they did behind closed doors were not biblical. And I made the choice that I was going to stand up and address this. And I sat in my boss's office, and I looked him straight in the eyes, and I said, I'm about to go in and address something, and I think every one of us knows this isn't going to go well, so I'm warning you. I reported to a man who reported to the senior pastor. So I walk into that man's office, and I tell him, I'm about to go do this. He knew this was coming. It's about to happen in five minutes. I just need you to know. He looked at me in the eyes with tears streaming down his face, and he said, Jason, I've worked in five churches, and I've never worked in one that was so far away from following the Bible as this church. So you think this is just in the secular world? I got bad news for you. It's in churches, too. Some pastors don't preach and don't lead congregations because they love you and care for you. They want power. They want a position. They want to grow something. They want money. Or they want a springboard. See, for him, he needed to be in this role for so long before he could be going to a senior pastor role. What was his motive? To serve God? To get to that next place? And I looked him straight in the eyes and I said, shame on you. Shame on you that you would work for a place that you know is not about the kingdom of God. Man, they look like it from the outside. Man, they look like it if you come sit in the pews. But what's the motivation? So I'm not picking on that church. I'm asking each of us, whether you're a pastor, whether you're in ministry, whether you're a student, whether you're a parent, whether you're a nurse, whether you're a doctor, whatever you are, dig deep in your heart and say, God, what is the motive for what I'm doing? It's easy to change them if you just start looking and you want to. Please pray for me to get a new car. Okay. What specifically do you want me to pray for? I can get all the options I want for the best price. One situation. And I'm kind of making this up. The other situation, pray for me to make a wise decision on what I can afford so it doesn't put a strain on the rest of my budget. Do you see the motive there? I want the biggest and the best of what I can afford. Man, I want to make a wise decision so I don't hurt myself elsewhere and create more worry and anxiety and problems elsewhere. But the reality is we go into a car lot and I see a $250 a month car and I'm like, man, that would do the job. Wait, I was pre-qualified for $600 a month and I can get leather and all this. And oh, man, this is nice. And it's got a 14-inch screen on it. Looks like a spaceship inside. <laughs> I'm going to go with the $600 car because that's what I qualified for. I'm going to look better. I'll take it. And there's $350 a month we have robbed from somewhere else. And what's the first place that goes? Be honest. Tithing to your church. Where's the second thing? Giving to another ministry. Giving to people in need. Giving to Tatum's birthday party. Giving to Pregnancy Resource Center. I'm not just talking about tithing. I'm talking about the first thing that goes when we make a poor financial decision because we needed something is we quit doing the things for the kingdom. Because I got to eat. I got to buy groceries. I got to have Dish TV. I got to have internet because then I got to have Facebook. And I got to have this new iPhone. And I've got to have this. Oh, I can't tie this month or this week. Okay. Well, everybody else is tithing, so it's good. It's not about tithing, God. Guys, it's about where you're storing up your treasures. And I'm just using a, 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 ficti a fictitious example of buying a car. But is it, you're with me, right? I've been guilty of it. 
I'm not telling you to go out this week and sell all your cars and downgrade. I am. Because I'm convicted of what I'm talking about. And I want my money to go somewhere else. And I'm not going to ask you for it. I'm going to make a decision in my life and make some changes this week. Okay? And I'm asking you to come with me. I don't care where you give it. I've told you that before. Give it to Tatum. She can keep giving it to the foster place. We need some. Yeah, that'd be awesome too as a church so we can do bigger and better things. You know, like this new app thing is turning out to be a little more expensive than I thought it was going to be. But, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm storing up my treasures in the wrong place. Maybe that looked like leather seats to me. I don't know. <laughs> my point is the decision sounds so good in the moment. We justify them, but then it produces something selfish or the basis is selfish, and it affects other areas. I want to go a little deeper because those have all been kind of money-related or power-related. Here's one that's going to hit a little hard. What about this one? I want you to pray for my parent who has cancer. What do you want me to pray for? That he or she will get better because I can't imagine life without him. So you want your parent to hang around who's suffering because you need them? Man. Talk about storing up your treasures on earth. I can't let go of someone because I can't live without them. I know this one's tough. Versus, hey, pray for my parent to have complete healing so they won't suffer. Or pray for me to accept God's will if their time is done and they're supposed to go so they won't suffer. So I think this storing up treasures in heaven versus treasures on earth is bigger than money. It's bigger than where you spend your time. It's everything in your mind. It's everything about your motives. And what does it tie back to 100% of the time? Selfishness. And that's how we started this whole series back in May. Jesus is talking about selfishness. That's ultimately what this is about, looking in your heart to see if you're making decisions with selfish motives. If your focus is 100% on what you get out of it, <laughs> your selfish desires, you're always going to worry. You're always going to worry because you're putting your faith in the wrong thing. And you're putting your faith in things that break. We bought a brand new camper to live in because we knew we were going to live in it for a year. We bought a great one. And nothing works on it. In the middle of the night, the lights come on. In the middle of the night, the heater comes on. In the middle of summer, and the heat and the air compete with each other. I could go on. There's nine things it does by itself. I just gave you two. I wasn't really trying to store up my treasure on earth. I was trying to get a little comfortable for this year, yeah. But I got something brand new. It's supposed to work. And now I got all kinds of worries. So I take it's under warranty, right? You take it to get it fixed. You leave it there for seven days while you stay in a hotel, and they don't even look at it. More worries, more problems. You ever heard the term more money, more things, more problems? It's true. Then the second time, and they tell me there's nothing wrong with it. We couldn't reproduce the problems. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> So I go back a second time. They keep it for four days, four nights in a hotel, some worries, some problems. Still nothing wrong with it. So the third time, I take it back, and they go, you going to leave it? And I was like, no, I'm going to sit in this thing and be with you while you're looking at it. Because I got videos, I got pictures, it happens in the middle of the night. It doesn't happen when I take it to Camping World in the most convenient of times when you want to fix it. 
And that time they went, huh, I'll be dang. There's this thing's got demons. That was his term. This thing's got demons. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but it's brand new. It's just solved our problems. Created worry. Tell me you don't know these stories. You buy something brand new because it's got warranty, and, and you never thought about the fact that they don't work on it. <laughs> Can't get parts because COVID. <laughs> Anybody ever seen Tommy Boy? <laughs> His reference of putting a turd in a box and putting a warranty on it. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, don't watch it. <laughs> What's your motive? <laughs> i got to rein it back in. What's your motive for your decision? I want to be clear. I'm not saying everyone who worries or has a worry thought is chasing treasure on earth. I think worry is something that's going to always be there. It's Maybe the discussion should be how long do we hang out with that worry? How long are you hanging out with it? If a thought of worry hits me, am I immediately turning to God and praying and trying to shed the worry and asking God to give me strength to trust him? Wisdom to trust him. He's always provided for me. Am I living with that worry for a long time and trying to figure out what I can do to fix it and who I can call and who I can yell at and who I can get Wendy to go off on because she's better than me at it? Or do I turn and say, God, I trust your will. I don't understand what we're going through, but maybe when I get to go to Camping World, I can show that God love and talk to Jesus about him. How long are you hanging out with the worry? See, a circumstance happens, and you got a choice of how long you're going to hang out on one side or the other. I can live in worry for the next 24 hours, the next week, the next month. And all of a sudden, my faith is not in God's provision. It's not in what God's going to do for me. My faith is in that thing or in my action or my ability to control the earthly treasure. I'm telling you, you've got to constantly evaluate your motives. And your actions, I told you my story last week, and I'm not going to go back through it, but I made this radical decision to leave my career because I was chasing earthly treasures. And so everybody thinks I just got it together and I don't have to worry anymore. Every day, every day, the thought comes in my mind, are brides going to like our place and book when they come see it? And I got a choice. Do I live with that worry or do I shed it and trust God? When I choose to trust God, the worry goes away and God just keeps sending them. Praise the Lord. What happens if a bride gives us a bad review because they didn't like something we did? Is it going to make everyone else not come? No, we have one bad review, and I chose just to leave it up because I trust God. Somebody reads that review, and they don't come here for that reason. We probably didn't want them. What happens if people leave our church? Am I failing? Am I doing something wrong? I mean, you think that one don't hit you every day? You guys have watched some people come and go. Am I doing a good job leading the church? See, I still got worries but it's how i choose to deal with them a couple weeks ago i'm like man i can't get keep grass growing because we're in a drought and then i've dealt with two hurricanes that flooded everybody's property around here there's worries everywhere i'm just giving you a few that came to mind real quick i'm out here going crap these grasses dying two weeks later i'm out here going man the the, the creek is over flooded <laughs> in my neighbor's yard went you know and I could give you 30 or 40 more. And I could get consumed in this worry, leave God out of it. And here's the thing, our wedding venue and this church are ministry, right? So I can do ministry and still have worries. So making a one-time decision doesn't last a lifetime in this area. You've got to evaluate daily, weekly, monthly. What are your motives? 
God, please give me the resources I need. That's called the daily bread. That's part of that prayer we prayed a couple weeks ago. God, give me what I need so I can spend my life pouring into someone else's. Okay, it flooded today. God, I trust you. You're going to show me what I need to fix so it won't flood again. Or I'm standing there going, oh, my gosh, what if it floods and washes out our driveway to get across the creek, and then the guys can't get up to build the house they hadn't built. You see where I'm going? My choice on how I deal with it. God, I know this situation looks bad, but thank you for helping me find a way out of it so I can keep pouring into other people. And I think this is what it means when Jesus says in verse 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he'll give you everything you need. You need. Do you believe that? Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Where's your motive? Are you seeking the kingdom or are you seeking what you want? We've heard that verse our whole lives. The question is, do we do it? Simple instruction. Bible's full of simple instructions that we make very complicated. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. What would it be like if you put that statement before every thought or every decision you made? What if you could take your selfishness out of the way and say, I want to seek the kingdom first, and I trust that God is going to provide? When Jesus addressed worry, he addressed our selfish needs. He said, don't worry about everyday life. Don't worry about food or drink. Don't worry about your clothes. Don't worry about where you're going to live. And he gives an analogy of a bird and a lily. These things don't have, they don't know where their next meal's coming from. Doesn't God care more about you than them? Man, look how beautiful the lilies are. They're so beautiful. And God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, don't you think he'll take care of you? Why do you have so little faith? Man, that's the gut punch right there. See, for the people Jesus was talking to, he pretty much addressed everything. All they really worried about was food, drink, clothing, housing. But for us, we've got to add some stuff to that. See, they didn't have vehicles. We have vehicles. And not only do we have vehicles, how many people in here have more than one in your family? Most of us, right? <laughs> Jacob's not even married. He's got 10 cars. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. <laughs> we got bigger, more complex housing. I told you guys last week, they would get married. They would go build onto their father's house, usually a small room just for them. What are we doing? <laughs> guilty we're building a house up here it's a little more complex creating some worries right meet my own medicine right here <laughs> fancier clothes you think they had a choice when they went out to buy a tunic if they were gonna buy a wrangler or american eagle or prada <laughs> it's like you want brown or green <laughs> you want burlap <laughs> or fine linen <laughs> i don't know what their choices were <laughs> they bartered for most of their food or grew their food and we're out here going crap the shelves are empty where are we going to get our food what about education public school private school do a homeschool oh my gosh there's a whole new set of worries it's almost like jesus knew this was coming social media pressures Man, did I get attacked this week on social media because of a stance I took on unity. I said we need to be unified as Christians, and I got attacked by a guy who doesn't believe in God, but he claims.
claims he does. What about your retirement plans? You get my point? Our society has so many more things to worry about than what Jesus was talking. (laughs) And if we get consumed in those things, which we spend a lot of time in, it separates us from God and it shows a lack of faith. And you can get mad at me all day long for saying it, but just like I said last week, Jesus said it, not me. He's the one that said, you of little faith. He said, why do you have so little faith? Or King James would say, oh, ye of little faith. We all know that scripture. He says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. These thoughts dominate unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom first. Live righteously. He'll give you everything you need. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I can't tell you how many times we're in a family of four in here, and I'll say something, and Parker will be like, Dad, that's tomorrow's worry. Don't worry about it. You got to hold each other accountable for this. Hey, Mom, hey, Dad, I let my sons do it. He hears me preach this. He has the right to challenge me on it. Quit worrying about tomorrow. You got enough problems going on today. Don't worry about today. Seek the kingdom first. He didn't say go buy yourself something to make you feel better. He didn't say go take a sleeping pill because you're so worried you can't sleep. He didn't say go take an antidepressant. He said, seek the kingdom of God first. And I'm not trying to ruffle feathers with these statements because I've done all of those. But the more I seek the kingdom of God, the less worries I have, the less I need those stupid things. Simple command, seek the kingdom first. If you're consumed with worry and stuff and worrying about your stuff, it's going to take some time and retraining of your mind. Jesus didn't say you've got to be perfect tomorrow. This whole thing is about evaluating and making changes. Isn't, isn't that what repentance is? I've got to make a decision that I'm not doing something right and I need to change. So I'm asking you, and Jesus is commanding you to begin this process. I don't care if it takes you eight or nine years. I'm standing here eight or nine years on the flip side of addressing this treasures on earth, treasures in heaven thing. Maybe this is the beginning day. Maybe you're in year two. I don't know where you are. I don't care if it takes eight, nine months or eight, nine years. The journey for each person is going to be different, but you've got to start somewhere. Will you make a decision to start? evaluating where you are. If you're already evaluating, thank you. I want to encourage you to keep going. You're doing a good thing. If you're not doing anything, please, I'm begging you to start because this is a key component of Jesus knowing you. Paul said take every thought captive. Maybe we could say he would say take every worry captive. And then you got to teach those disobedient thoughts to what? Obey Christ. He didn't say fix it immediately. He said train the thoughts to obey Christ. Training takes time and repetition, right? You don't go to the gym tomorrow out of shape. I mean, I realize how out of shape I am just doing a little dancing here, okay? You don't go to the gym tomorrow and get in shape in one day. Most of us go to the gym tomorrow all fired up, and we don't go back day two because day one sucks so bad. It takes time. It takes dedication. It takes training. It takes reminding, right? This is no different. The more you seek the kingdom first, the more you evaluate, the more you change your motives, your prayer requests, whatever, the more your worry starts not to be so consuming. So if you think you're going to get your arms around this tomorrow and it's all going to be better, you're setting yourself up for failure. You need to train. You're going to have to start doing it, do it, and allow others to come around you. That's where we need each other. Was it Lonnie that said we need each other or Wendy? Somebody said we need each other. 
Sometimes I might need to pick up the phone and say, I'm worrying today. Will you, will you pray for me? It doesn't mean I failed. It means I know who my family is that I can trust. Call us. Reach out. Don't hide because you failed at it. It's not a magic pill. See, that pill numbs out your feelings, whether it's an antidepressant or a drug or alcohol or whatever. It just numbs it for a little while. It doesn't take it away. But if you start to live your life differently, it's going to start taking it away. And you've got your, your, you to watch your words. There's a guy, and I've asked to give this this because he is part of our church. He's given me okay to give this example. I'm still not going to say his name. When I met him in counseling, his marriage was a disaster and going through a divorce. And I started asking him to do things, and he did everything I asked. He wanted so badly to change. He wanted so badly to have a restored marriage. He did everything he was asked to do. And every day he called me on his break, and the first words out of his mouth were, I'm worried. And I would say, what? You're what? You're what? (sighs) Okay, I know I'm not supposed to say I'm worried. He had to retrain his conversation. He was doing everything he was asked to do, but he had these words that came out that said, I'm worried, I'm worried, I'm worried. But he worked on it, and he made the changes he needed to make, and now he's adopting children, taking on foster children, children, a restored marriage, and he is chasing everything he does for the kingdom of God. Not for treasures on earth, and that's where he was before. I know this is long. We're almost done. This is finishing up this chapter. If you've listened to me this week and last week and you're offended, I think I know your answer of where you're storing up your treasures. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. Worry is driven by fear. We talked about that early. Scripture says perfect love drives out fear. That's 1 John 4.18. You see the correlation? Treasures on earth lead to worry. Worry is driven by fear. Fear separates you from the love of God. Boom, Satan's plan. I just laid it out for you. Did you see the pre-service thing, the, the slide? that said, hey, Satan, we read the end of the book. You lost, you loser. Here's his plan. Jesus gave us a blueprint. I'm going to give you Satan's blueprint. If I can get you to store up treasures on earth, it'll lead to worry. Worry is driven by fear. Fear separate, separates you from your creator, and I win. That's Satan's plan. I'm going to end with this, and I've given you guys this before, and you can make fun of me. I use it in counseling all the time, and people laugh at it, but I call it the fear pendulum. Fear hits you. I'm not talking about necessarily physical fear as much as I'm talking about fear of how am I going to pay this bill? How are my loved ones going to accept me for the decisions I've made? around a vaccine or a mask or a virus or my stance. A worry, a fear hits you. You either typically control that fear or you isolate. Control looks a lot like, man, I need to go make some more money. I got a problem. I got a fear. I'm not going to pay my bills this week. I need to go make some more money. Or maybe you guys are driving down the car. I don't know why I'm using this example. Maybe you guys are driving down the car, down, down the road with your wife in the car and she says something, and you're like, oh, my gosh, the last 47 times she's brought this up, it's led to a fight. And then you just clam up and don't say a word. I see a few people getting a pat on the back right now. <laughs> and then five miles later, 
honey, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Is everything okay? Yeah, it's good. What have you done? You've isolated. There's a fear. So you either control it or you run from it. It's pretty simple. And if you control it, great. You don't have a fear anymore, but you're a control freak. And you're changing your circumstances to outweigh the fear. Or if you isolate, not so great because that leads to things like depression and anxiety and loneliness and all kinds of stuff because you just separate yourself from people. And that's what we do as humans. Man, I'm scared of what they're going to think about me. I'm scared of what's going to happen. I'm just going to isolate back. I'm scared of what the future is. I'm just going to pull back. Okay? If you control things, great. So it's fear, control. But if you can't control it, it goes to anger really fast. Anybody ever seen that? A fear hits. You can't control it. It goes to anger. So anytime anybody has an anger issue, they come in, they go, I got an anger problem. I'm like, no, you got a fear problem. Let's figure that out. You got a fear you couldn't control that turned to anger. Some people peg on control and stay there, and some people go to anger and bypass control. But I'm telling you, every situation can fall into this. Or they isolate, and they fall into this depression and loneliness state. And if you stay there in that depression and loneliness state long enough, you snap around to anger. And if you stay over here in anger and you're really a good person, you will flip to this isolation thing because i got to get away from people because I hurt people. What's at the root of all that? Fear. Worry. Okay? So what I'm trying to tell you is watch your actions. Watch your actions. If you're trying to control things, you are not seeking the kingdom of God first. As a pastor, I made a decision. I'm not going to control you guys. And it has bit me in the butt. But I also didn't go isolate from it either. And that's my nature. My nature would just be go hide. You have to face the problems head on. You have to trust God. And I know it's not easy, guys. But if you start seeing yourself controlling, you start seeing anger, you start seeing you guys isolate, you guys know what I'm talking about. You know what you do. <laughs> and so many times in a couple's relationship, you got one of them that's always on control and one of them is always on isolation. It never turns out good. Because neither of you are fighting the fear. And this whole thing about worry is really about fear and it's really about separation from God. So do you want to be known by Jesus? Do you want to be known by Jesus? Start fighting fear. Quit worrying. Quit storing up your treasures on earth. I know this is a tough message. These last two weeks are kind of the roughest of the bunch. So congratulations. We're kind of on the downhill now. Okay? But you've got to evaluate what you're doing. So this week, the challenge is the same as last week. Look at every action. Look at every thought. Look at the words that come out of your mouth. Are they based on earthly things that produce worry? Or are you seeking the kingdom first? If you don't know, please reach out to someone and ask for help. Don't let pride get in the way of asking for help. If you're trying your dangness to put the kingdom first and it just keeps not happening, reach out for help. We want to walk with you, not chastise you or get on to you but that ball's in every one of our court we have to decide what we're going to do father thank you for your instructions thank you that they're simple but father give us the wisdom and the courage give us the wisdom and the courage to look inward at those ugly things 
Father, I bind up any fear that's in this room right now in the name of Jesus that would try to come against people that feel like they're not good enough for you, good enough to start on this journey. They've tried it and failed before. I'm too far down the path of worry. I bind that lie in the name of Jesus. And, Father, give them courage to start. If they're already on the journey, give them encouragement to keep going. If they're just starting it, give them the courage to start it and the courage to reach out for help when they hit bumps in the road. Father, my desire, your word says that you will give us the desires of our hearts, and my desire is that everyone that hears this will do what it takes to be known by your son, Jesus. Father, that's the desire I'm asking from you right now. Help us to store treasures in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.